after doing a good work, Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand did or right hand know the left hand did. I, I'm now tired. Yeah, I cannot recall it exactly. But you know what I'm saying. But when it comes to a good work of other people, it's good that you say it, right? So thank you, Brother Joe. <laughs> Brother Joe Baymiller bought me a piece of cake and a cup of coffee this afternoon so that I will be awake while preaching. So thank you so much, Brother Joe. It meant a lot to me, and I enjoyed the piece. It was perfect for me. Let's go to James 1. Like I promised, we're going to look at the topic of Scripture again tonight. And it's going to help us to understand uh, what it means to read the Bible every day. Uh, this is a very, very important topic. So uh, let's go to James 1, verses 16, actually, uh, 17 and through 25. So James, uh, let's read from the verse 16. James 1, 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shed of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brothers, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he, look, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer or a doer of the work. This man will be blessed in what he does. How many times a day do you look in the mirror? Can you try to guess at how many times? A study conducted in England found that on average, women look in the mirror 34 times a day, while men look, uh, uh, look in the mirror 27 times a day. It's a quite a lot. Although I could not find a similar study done in America, I'm sure the results would be similar. So why do we then look in the mirror so many times? during the day. It's to check our appearance and ensure that everything looks right. Now, imagine you're a boy, even ladies, you're a boy now. And now you're on a blind date with a lady that uh, your friend described to be a good Christian and a pretty one. And now you're having dinner with her, yeah, and yes, she is a good Christian, and a pretty one, and the conversation is flowing smoothly as you both enjoy your meal until you notice a large green piece of spinach wedged between her front teeth as she finishes her salad. The piece is so big, so you think 
that she should be able to notice and feel it in her mouth, but it seems like she doesn't feel anything in her mouth and keeps that spinach until the dinner is over. Now, you both are about to go out, and you know you got to do something about that spinach. So, you go, hey, I don't want to be rude, but you might want to look in the mirror before we go out. So, she pulls out her makeup mirror and looks at her face in that mirror with a big smile. But after she looks at it, she just ignores it and do, not, do nothing about that. So, you ask again, Hey, I'm so sorry to say it again, but didn't you notice anything in the mirror? And with another big smile, she pulls out her mirror again and looks at it and completely ignores that big piece of Spinach, again, what would you do with this girl? Would you ask her out for a second date? Of course, it's a made-up story, right? But such a scenario is really unlikely to happen in real life. But did you know that so many Christians live like this girl with a big piece of spinach between her front teeth? So many of us easily forget ourselves being reflected on the mirror of God's word and we forget about who we are and what we are and we continue on with the big piece of spinach on our front teeth and doing nothing about it. According to today's text, the Bible is the mirror that reveals our true selves. And so today I want to emphasize this truth. We must practice what we learn from the Bible, which is a mirror that reflects our true selves. So this is my point, point number one for tonight's message. The Bible mirror reflects who we truly are. Verse 22, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. So James says that listening to God's word is like looking into our natural faces in a mirror. In other words, God's word clearly reveals who we are. And it's not just our outward appearance. When we look in the mirror, of course, it shows who we are outwardly. But what the Bible does, it actually exposes who we are inside. So Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 is a very famous passage. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, God's sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of God, to whom we must give account. So here we find a reason we must constantly go to the Bible. Just like we look in the mirror multiple times a week, a day, to check on our appearance, we must check on our spiritual state 
by repeatedly looking into the Bible mirror. Just as we discover our shortcomings that need to be corrected every time we stand in front of a mirror, we also discover our shortcomings that need to be corrected every time we stand before God's word, which is the discerner of our hearts. So then how does the Bible reveal our shortcomings? God's word decisively teaches what sin is. It shows us how sinful we are. Let's go to Romans 3. In Romans 3, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Of course, doing good works will not save us. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So as you look into the law of God, which is the Bible, what happens is it gives you a knowledge. What knowledge? The knowledge of your sinfulness. The Bible plainly tells us what sin is. While our society, our culture say, they're not sinful. You're okay. You just need some rest. You need a vacation. The Bible says, no, 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 no. What you need is not vacation. What you need is not another session of nap. What you need is you need to correct yourselves by looking into God's word. So what economic system do we live in in America? In South Korea as well, in my case, it's capitalism. Do you know the basic human nature that the capitalist society constantly employs to sustain itself? Greed or covetousness. Advertisements on TV, these days YouTube, or news media, or TikTok, whatever that may be, Facebook, e your emails. They all advertise the things that are fancier than what you have <laughs> and what you don't need, right? But what they do is this. You need this, or you want it now. Why don't you serve yourselves by buying this one? A bigger house. A fancier car, a newer phone or a computer, and this delicious looking junk food, which you don't really need, but you want to have it because it looks good. And they're really cool toys for toddlers and children. In my case, raising a toddler, another toddler again. You know what? You know, Ariana is now turning seven next month. So it's been about five years since we bought toys for, you know, Ariana. And then now we're trying to buy some toys for Silas. Over the past five years, the advancement of toys have accomplished great things. I mean, there are a lot of fancier toys nowadays. Way better than Ariana's days. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing how fancy they are. Sometimes I want to buy them. I want to play with them instead of letting Silas play with them. And so, I mean, these advertisements are telling us what? Hey. I know you need it. Why don't you have it? I know you have some extra money. Why don't you buy it? And what these advertisements are saying is this. It's a hidden message that it's okay to desire to have the things that we don't have and that we don't need. It's okay to be greedy. It's okay to be covetous. But what does the Bible say about a heart that desires the things that we don't 
need. Let's go to Romans 7. Since we're in Romans, Romans 7, 7, Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For if I would not have known covetousness, unless the law had said, you shall not covet the things that you don't have. And Colossians 3, 5 says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, we think that covetousness or greed is just—it's not good, but, you know, it's okay. Everybody has that kind of attitude toward that. But the Bible says, no, 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 no. That is just like idolatry. You would think that you would, you know, fall down at the feet of the idol. You would say, you know, you're going really crazy. I mean, you're going to be serious. I and mean, if you look at me falling at the feet of an idol, you'll tell me, Pastor Matt, and I'll, I'll be just kicked out of this church right away, right? But if you look at me being greedy, you'll say, hey, that's okay. Brother Joe is a human too. He can be a little greedy as well. That's the way we look at greed, right? But Paul says, no. When you look at a person who is greedy, he's just like an idolater who's falling at the feet of an idol. So that's how seriously the Bible deals with our greed, our covetousness. So it exposes who we are in front of God. And what about self-sexual objectification. I know it's a little bit term, but let, let, let's say it's the one idea that our society subtly and constantly promotes is the notion that self-sexual objectif objectification. What I mean by this self-sexual uh, object objectification is this, that we have too many people who desire to be seen as sexual objects by wearing immodest clothes in public or posting sexualized photo, photos and videos on social media. I'm not just talking about unbelievers. For my wife's recent birthday, I decided to take her to a clothing store to buy her a birthday gift. So we went to a store at South Point Mall in Durham that advertised itself as a Christian clothing store. However, after browsing around the store, Lydia told me that there was nothing she could buy there. And it wasn't that the clothes were not beautiful, because some of them were really cute and pretty. I wanted to buy them for her. The problem was that she couldn't wear them even if she bought them. Why? Because she could not wear them in public because of their inappropriate nature. So she said, hey, let's go out, Joe, it's okay. We'll do it, try it next time. So I, I had hoped to buy her a beautiful dress or a cute blouse that night, but I failed to do so even at a store that claimed to be Christian. Listen to one Christian lady who wrote the following words on her blog. The question I have for you is this, she says, why in the world are Christian girls posting seductive selfies? I'm shocked sometimes when I get on my Instagram and see some of the sensual poses a few of my Christian friends are posing, posting. What surprises me even more is the comments I read from other Christian friends who are complimenting these images and calling them beautiful. So what's up with this? It seems like an 
epidemic over the past few years. Do you know when she wrote this blog? It was 2014. It was nine years ago. And now we are living in 2023. And I'm sure you, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's just in that, it's epidemic. Everybody seems like they want to be seen as a sexual object. I'm not just talking about ladies here. The men are the same. You know, it seems like it's okay to be seen as a sexual object in public. And I recently read a book, Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture, which is written by a Christian pediatrician. The author highlighted a concerning trend where even children as young as second and third graders are worrying about the shapes of their bodies and going on diets to appear more attractive to other boys. Second graders and third graders are worried about their shapes, the shapes of their bodies. This is the culture we are living in. Actually, the author says the, the reason why is this. Their moms talk about it a lot, the shape of their bodies, and they try to define themselves how they look outwardly, and they somehow transpose to transfer to their daughters. And if you go to Target or Walmart, wherever that may be, you go to a toy section, there are toys that are for seven years old, eight years old, and nine years old. Nine years old. They are so seductive. I mean, the toys are wearing some lingeries and just adult clothings. Even some adults wouldn't wear. And they are at the center of the toy section. That's the, the, the state that we, we are living in today's uh, world. And I know as soon as I say it, actually, I'm going to become, I'm going to get canceled <laughs> right away. I know some people will say I'm, I'm a really, really, I'm from the like maybe 1800s or 1600s. But am I, am I from 1600s? Maybe I'm from first century Christianity. Why? What does the Bible say about this trend? Let's go to 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. In like manner, 1 Timothy 2, 2, 9. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but with it, which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. The Apostle Paul says, hey, ladies, don't worry about your outward appearance, but rather worry about your inward heart. What kind of person are you inside? And that's the way God sees you, he says. Am I just picking on women tonight? No. I'm also talking about men as well. Look at verse 9 again. In like manner also. In verse 8, actually, Paul emphasizes that men should be holy in public as well. So it's, I'm not just talking about ladies here. Both men and women need to be modest in the way they wear their clothes and in the way they behave themselves. Why? Because that's right for the Christian. What about lost flies? Another thing that is permitted in our culture is lost, lost flies. In our culture, it's commonly accepted that so long as we don't harm anyone else, it's okay to entertain any fantasies or imaginations we have about individuals who are not our spouses. Sadly, this mindset even extends 
to some Christian leaders. I recall hearing a pastor in a Christian podcast. It's a Christian podcast of pastor saying that pornography is permissible as it aligns with men's natural desires. I was actually, I still remember where I listened to it. I was actually at the gym. <laughs> I was so angry. I was lifting, lifting, <laughs> lifting stuff, and I was so angry. Uh, maybe I lifted a little more that day. <laughs> I was so angry when I listened to that. But what does the Bible say about this kind of nonsense? Matthew 5, 27. The Lord Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of all, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So, of course, Jesus is now targeting men, right, in the text. But is he only targeting men? I don't think so. Whether you're male or female, you look at a woman or a man who is not your spouse and have fantasies and imaginations in your heart, that is a sin that is worthy of eternal hell fire. You can be forgiven of that sin, but what I'm saying is that is the still sin that is worthy of the eternal hell fire. That's what Jesus is saying here. I think I've given you enough examples they illustrate the truth that the Bible exposes the sins of our lives. The more we look at the Bible, the more we will be able to look at our sinfulness before God. And when, we, when it comes to sin, the Bible doesn't only speak of the sin of commission, but also the sin of omission. The, the sin of commission is the violation of what is forbidden. Right? It's the, the, these are the things that we have already sinned. But there's a sin of omission. What is it? It is the negligence of what needs to be done. So James 4, 17, James says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Actually, we talked about in our you know, Sunday school, uh, adult Bible class, you know, the, the Catholic theology, the sanctification. You know, there's a form of perfectionism that says, you know, if you reach that perfection as a Christian, that you wouldn't sin, commit uh, inten uh, intentional sins, which is actually violating what's clearly stated in the Bible. But what about the sin of omission? <laughs> is that not the sin? According to the Bible, that is sin too. So we have to face it. You know, when we know we can do better and we don't do it, then the Bible says that's sinful as well. So in this way, the Bible, our spiritual mirror, reflects how sinful we are and also shows us the way we need to change. Therefore, we must constantly look into God's word, our spiritual mirror, just as we look into a physical mirror many times a day. However, another truth we have to remember is that looking into the mirror shouldn't be a means, I'm sorry, should be a means not an end in itself. Do we look into the mirror simply to look into the mirror? No, that's not the purpose of looking into the mirror. We look into the mirror to find and correct our flawed appearances, right? 
So what kind of person would we become if we just look in the mirror and see our flaws and do nothing about them? We will become foolish people. So here's the second point of today's, tonight's message. A foolish man forgets his state after looking at himself in the Bible mirror. Verse 23, for if, coming back to James 1, verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Do you remember the Spanish lady? at the beginning of the message. It's a really funny story, right? She's really foolish. I mean, she's a foolish lady. But do we have the right to laugh at her? It's, many of us regularly read the Bible and listen to biblical sermons, right? I mean, if you're part of this, this church, you listen to sermons at least one or two times a week. And I'm sure you read the Bible regularly as well. Then do we, the question is this, then do we do what we read and hear from God's word? That's the question we have to ask us whenever open, we open the Bible. So remember this truth. The fact that we read the Bible every day and listen to sermons every Sunday does not guarantee our spiritual security. If we don't constantly change ourselves according to what we read from God's word, we are already in grave spiritual danger. So the fundamental reason we study the Bible is not for the accumulation of knowledge, for a, but for a changed life. We read the Bible to change. That's the purpose. So we should never take the commands of the Bible lightly because the end of a person who accumulates Bible knowledge without changing his lifestyle will be destruction. Kids, young people, listen to me. You go through the Kids for Truth book. I know you do that because I do it with my daughter every week. It doesn't matter how many lessons you have gone through. If you don't do them, it means nothing to God. The end of your life will be destruction. It doesn't matter how faithful your parents are. If you don't do what you learn from the Kids for Truth, the end of your life will be destruction. I'm not saying it. The Bible says it. The one who doesn't practice Jesus' words will perish. So James actually borrows this lesson, this truth, from Jesus' teaching himself. So let's go to Matthew 7, and this is one of the familiar passages. Matthew 7, 24, the Lord Jesus says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So we all know that we are not saved by works of, 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 of obedience. However, it never means that obedience is not important to the Christian life. In the same chapter, the Lord Jesus said that we will know whether a person is a true believer or not by looking at their obedience. This chapter 6, 16, verse 16, Matthew 7, 16, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from 
thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. The bad tree that bears bad fruit is the foolish person who listens to God's words but does not do them. This person will inevitably face utter destruction because he's building his house on sand. But the only way to demonstrate that we have genuine faith is to obey Jesus' words. Let me put it again. We're not saved by obedience. But the only way you can demonstrate you have true faith is by obeying and doing what Jesus told to do, told you to do. So it doesn't matter how many times you have read the Bible or how many years you have been a Christian. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or a deacon. It doesn't matter how much you have donated to the church. What matters is whether we are doing what the Lord Jesus has commanded us to do. That's the only thing that matters. So what does the Lord call the person who hears and does his words? Verse 24 of chapter 7 of Matthew. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Jesus calls this wise man, I'm sorry, Jesus calls this man a wise man. And James calls this wise man a blessed man. Let's come. Let's come. Uh, let's go back to James one, and here's number three. The point number three for tonight's message: A blessed man practices biblical truths by remembering them. James one twenty five. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So many people have misunderstood James and claim that he teaches salvation by works. But if you look at James's argument closely, you will find that he clearly teaches salvation by grace. The saving power does not belong to a sinner, but to God's word. So let's go to James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of or shadow of turning. Of his own will, God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He's talking about regeneration, that we might become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my brothers, beloved brothers, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So every good gift is from God, and salvation is the greatest gift from God. And look at the way God gives salvation to us in verse 18 again. He makes us new creatures by what? By our good works? No, by his word of truth, the gospel. And James continues in verse 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The reason we are saved is not our works but the power of God's word. The gospel that is able to save our souls. 
So God implants his word in the heart of every believer at their regeneration, at their salvation. And this is the reason why believers can keep and obey God's word. And those who obey God's word are the people who are blessed by God. So God's blessings belong to a person who love and obey God's word. Again, James borrows this idea from where Psalm 1 Psalm 1, 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Do you remember the psalm that is the longest and talks about the law of God a lot? What psalm is it? Psalm 119. Do you know how it starts? 119, 1 and 2. Blessed are the defiled, I'm sorry, not defiled. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the life of blessed, the blessed man is what? The man who meditates God's word, look into the mirror of God's word. And do it. That truth has never changed over generations. So here, as we talk about obedience, we need to make sure that we don't misunderstand biblical obedience as perfectionism. Because when a preacher emphasizes obedience, sometimes people say, oh, then I should never sin or I should never fail. But the obedience that God requires from us is not perfect obedience. Why? God knows that we won't be perfect until the day of the Lord's return. But what God requires of us is this. We constantly correct ourselves as we continue to bring ourselves in front of the Bible mirror even after failing God. God knows that we're going to fail Him. But what he wants is this, not that we will never fail, but when we fail, what we do? We go to the Bible, looks into our face, in this reflecting the Bible, and we correct ourselves. It's an ongoing action. It's an everyday thing. Not just every day. It's an every moment thing. That's what God requires of us. So when the Bible says be obedient, it means that. It's not that you never sin, but when you sin, what you do? You go to the Bible and correct yourself constantly. That's the way and life of obedience. To practice biblical truth daily, we must first do our best to continue to remember God's word. So this is the last application for us tonight. How can we do God's words then? James says we have to remember the truths of the Bible. So verse 25 again James, of James 1. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. He doesn't forget biblical truths, but rather he remembers it and do it. This one will be blessed in what he does. In Malachi 4.4, God is speaking to the Israelites who broke who broke the old covenant. And God tells them, remember the law of Moses, my servant. Before they could do what they were supposed to do, 
Malachi is telling them, hey, guys, remember the word of God, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. So remembering must precede before we do them. And 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13 for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know that are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. Reminding us of what? The things that we have been already taught. So Peter was actually a preacher who repeated himself a lot. He was repeating himself too much and to the point that he's writing it in the letter. So that's the way Peter trained and discipled his people. And 2 Peter 3, 1 again, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir you up, uh, stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Again, he's constantly saying, I'm trying to remind you guys, I know you already know this truth. But our sinful nature forgets. And we don't do what we are supposed to do. So then what, what we do, we have to constantly remember what God has taught us to do. So what is our problem? We easily forget biblical truths and do not live according to that. So we must practice what we learn from the Bible by remembering what it says to us. And this is the vital thing. It's a very basic. I know all of you know what I'm saying tonight already. You knew it before I said it. But let's remember. I'm doing what Peter's doing, what, what he did 2,000 years ago. Let's remember what God has taught us and do them. That's the only way we will be, we will be blessed as his children. Let's pray. Precious Father, thank you so much.